am Suzanne Legrand, and this is Disobedient Femmes. Today, my guest is Sarah Haas, who is a women's weight loss and body love coach. Welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Good to be here. There is so much contradictory information about weight loss and really contradictory messages that women are given with respect to their bodies and also with respect to food. On one hand, we're told that um, we should be healthy and that we should show love to our friends and family by cooking for them and feeding <laughs> them. And then on the other hand, we're often told that our bodies are defective in some way, too much, too little, and in need of change. So to begin, mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you would talk about how you got started doing weight loss coaching and also body love coaching. Yes. So I was a graphic designer in my previous life. So I was more in the corporate world. And I always um, had sort of a fitness background because I taught classes at the gym and did some personal training, but that was definitely a side gig. And then about 10 years ago, so I have two children and 10 years ago, my little boy was six. He was in kindergarten and he was diagnosed with type one diabetes. So, and that just came out of nowhere. You know, we didn't have family. I didn't even know what it was. We had no family history. You know, I was very unaware. And it was a shock to say the least and so upsetting. And when people hear diabetes, they often confuse type one and type two, which are very different because type one, it cannot be brought on by your lifestyle there's, they don't know what causes it. It's called juvenile diabetes because it usually comes on in childhood and it can't be cured. So you can't just get healthy and make it go away. Like type two, often you can reverse it or at least make it better. But with type one, you can't, but it's okay because it's manageable. You take insulin and you also do have to lead a healthy lifestyle because if you don't, the repercussions will be the same for type one as type two. So if he doesn't take care of his body, he will be prone to heart disease, kidney disease, neuropathy, blindness, all those things just like type two diabetes can lead to. So I sort of just threw myself in to all things nutrition, health wellness i went to conferences i did all kinds of you know books and studies and videos and i went to training like diabetes training at through the hospital i did everything i could and it really made a difference in our lives as a family because i was like well we have to all get on board with this you know this can't we're not going to just force it on a six-year-old when the rest of us aren't doing it. So we built a healthy lifestyle. And in the process, we all felt better. We all had more energy. We all had a more positive attitude. You know, it created better moods and more joy. And 
it enriched our relationships because we felt better when we were together. We weren't tired and grouchy and those kinds of things. What kinds of changes did you institute that led to that? Well, I was already doing regular exercise because I, I had, you know, that as my job, side, side job, but I wasn't, my family wasn't necessarily exercising on a regular basis. And, you know, kids these days were on our devices a lot and TV and all those kinds of things. So we started getting out as a family and doing things like hiking and going to the park and walking around the lake and playing basketball, you know, in our driveway, just things that we could all do together and to just incorporate regular movement all the time. And then I also took a really hard look at what we were eating and a lot of what we were eating was definitely not healthy. I was a Diet Coke drinker and we had Oreos all the time in the cabinet and lots of chips and goldfish crackers and, you know, all those good things. But I realized that that we were doing way too much of that. And with the diabetes, it's all about counting your carbohydrates because you have to know exactly how many carbohydrates you're eating because you have to give yourself insulin with every every carb that you eat. And I started realizing like, wow, we are eating like a lot of burger buns and potato chips and really unhealthy carbs. And it's crazy when you can see the physical proof of what you put in your body creates a reaction because we're monitoring his blood sugar. We're, we're seeing exactly what happens when you eat this, this is how your body responds. And it was just so eye opening because you don't really think of it that way, or at least I didn't. It was more like, you know, take it in and then it flows through and goes out and that's that. But <laughs> there's a whole reaction inside your body that takes place when you eat something and depending on what that food is. So we just started gradually getting rid of the junk food and I started researching and finding healthier options that still tasted good and that were kid friendly and that we still enjoyed. And I started cooking more and we started eating a lot more vegetables, which was key and drinking more water instead of other junky drinks. And, you know, we just sort of gradually added in what we needed and phased out what we didn't. Now, obviously, we all still have some indulgences. I like my glass of wine on the weekend. You know, we order pizza sometimes. My son is 16, so he's not going to refrain from junk food <laughs> altogether. <laughs> but we incorporated more of a moderate lifestyle because I always tell people, and when I talk to my clients about it, you know, they want to have cheat days and splurges and everything. And I'm like, yes, we should, because it's not what you eat once in a while that makes a difference. It's what you're eating day after day after day that adds up. We get so many contradictory messages about what we should eat. 
Mm -hmm. and and also about how to be healthier and it's interesting mm -hmm. that a lot of this information has come about at the same time that people report and i think it's true that as a culture we tend to be fatter than we yeah. used to be 20 mm -hmm. 30, 50 years ago um so how do you help people to navigate through just so much information and also to not be overwhelmed by the amount of possible things one could do or could change to be healthier. Right. Yeah, there it, it is complicated and there's all those diets out there. There's keto and intermittent fasting and low fat and low carb and and you know it's so overwhelming. And the problem with a lot of those is it's so strict and overwhelming and there's so many big changes you have to make all at once that people try it and they see success, but then it is not sustainable and they end up right back where they started. You know, you white knuckle it for a little while, but you're, you're hungry or you're deprived of foods that you like, or it's like taking all of your day to count points or count calories or whatever that, whatever the diet is. And you just get to a point where you're like, this is too much. This is no fun. I can't, I can't live like this. So my motto is if it's not enjoyable, it's not sustainable. And I tell people never start any kind of wellness program if you hate it. Like don't go to some kind of fitness class and kill yourself if you're miserable the whole time because you're not going to keep going. You know, you have to find a way that it's enjoyable. And the key is taking small steps, not trying to do it all at once, this big, huge, overwhelming plan, because that's what trips us up. That's what it, that's what ends up self-sabotaging and going all the way back to zero. And so just, we know a lot of the healthy things. Like we know we should drink water. We know we should walk. We know we should eat more vegetables. And so just picking one and focusing on it and doing that for a while. And then when that becomes a regular habit, you pick another thing and you start working on that. It doesn't have to be complicated. There's no special food combinations. There's no only eat this food group and don't eat that food group and eat a ton of this and hardly any of that. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. It's not well balanced. And if it's overwhelming, that's a red flag. So go back to the basics. Go back to common sense. Um, there's an author that I really like, Michael Pollan. I don't know if you've ever read him. And he says, um, eat, eat food, mostly plants, not too much. And it's as simple as that. Eat mostly plants. Not that doesn't mean you have to be a vegetarian by any means. But the bulk of your diet should be fruits and vegetables and don't eat too much. 
Um, you know, one of the things that I think about, you know, because I've thought about this for, you know, most of my life, like many, many women, I think, have have um, been somewhat obsessed with this with this topic. For me, there's also the issue of how we use food to deal with or to not deal with our emotions. Mm -hmm. And of course, part of this, part of the culture tells us that we treat ourselves with sugar. Yeah. Right? That's also how we show love. Yes. So it's a very, it's a very mixed up, you know, if it were just a matter of, you know, eating well and knowing what to eat, that's one thing. But then there are also the other reasons why people eat that have to do with emotions, with culture, with all kinds of other considerations, with company. How do you deal with those aspects of why people eat what they eat? Yeah. And that's the reason that I have a job, honestly, <laughs> because it's not what to eat. It's how to get on that program and stay on it, right? Because we have been self-medicating with food. Food is good. Food never disappoints us. It's always there. It always makes us feel better. And especially sugar, but it's not always sugar. It could be anything, you know, whatever, choose your poison, right? <laughs> and so there, there has to be some deeper work done around those areas because your brain will default back. We all need to feel good. We just do. We have to have a way to feel good. And if you have done that with food, your brain remembers that. And that's the trigger. As soon as you don't feel good, your brain says, well, get some sugar because that that's always made you feel good in the past. And so we have to break that cycle by becoming aware of it, first of all. And secondly, figuring out why we don't feel good. You know, what is going on? Am I feeling lonely? Have I had a bad day? Am I too stressed? And it usually goes way back. It's not just, oh, I had a tough day today. It's usually way back into childhood, you know, traumas and, and things that you've experienced that really hurt and that you have carried with you and that you haven't worked through yet. So cravings and um, going to foods that we intellectually know we aren't good for us, but we keep going back, even though we know that we shouldn't. That's a red flag. That's kind of your check engine light. Like, oh, I'm having this craving. Why is that? And then finding a way to dive deeper into that, which is where I come in, because that is one of the biggest things that I work on with the women that I that I coach. How is it that you you change those long held patterns um, that are often, as you point out, due to a trauma response? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, first you have to be aware in the moment and then 
start thinking about what is my brain saying to me right now? What's my inner critic's voice telling me? You know, what are these words that I'm saying to myself over and over again? Is it, um, you're too fat, you're ugly, you don't look good in your clothes, you're lazy, you know, other people are so good at this and, and you're not. And then thinking, okay, where did this voice come from? When I work with clients, first I will ask them, what is your inner critic saying to you over and over again throughout the day? You know, we have that voice in our head that is so mean and berates us. And some people aren't aware that they have it and other people are, but we all do. You know, we have a voice that says, you aren't good enough. You haven't done a good job. You know, you, you're too fat. You're lazy. You know, why can't you stay motivated and other people do? And you have to start listening to the voice. And I will usually ask people, if you had to, if you had to name whose voice that is, who would it be? And almost instantly they will come up with, I know who it is. It's, my mom, or it's uh, a teacher that I had growing up, or it's my ex-husband, or it's my, it was my boss from years ago at work. And a lot of times it's more than one voice, but, a, but usually there's one that really sticks out. And it's not about that person is a terrible person, or they didn't love you, or they were cruel, because they didn't probably say the words that harshly but that's the message that we took because as a kid you internalize everything and and you think it's your fault so let's say you had a parent who was an addict or you suffered some type of neglect you maybe you were abused somehow you know those are extreme examples but i see them a lot and sometimes it's just you had a mom that worked a lot or a dad who was not emotionally present. But whatever it is, you took in a message from that. You took in a message that you're not good enough. I would, I would be giving you more attention if you were worthy of it. Or it could be um, a perfectionistic parent who every time you had some success would say, that's good, but, you know, Next time you could make all A's instead of all A's and one B. And it's not about blaming them. It's about realizing that they did the best they could at the time with what tools they had and with they, they maybe weren't strong enough to love you the way that you deserved to be loved. But starting to talk back now to that inner critic voice and realizing that it dates back to past trauma and starting to change that inner narrative. And that's a lot of work. That doesn't happen overnight. It's not easy. I, I don't mean to say that it's easy in any way, but if food issues keep coming up for you, they're going to continue to be an issue if you don't under if you don't address the underlying cause how does working on these issues lead to greater 
body love, which is the other part of what you do. We think that if we were skinny, then we can start loving ourselves. If I was X number of pounds or X size, that's when I'll be happy and I'll have the life that I want. <laughs> but you have to flip it. You have to love yourself first. And that's what creates you giving yourself the self-care and knowing that you're worth giving yourself that time to spend on your own physical and mental wellness. And so you have to start where you are and start realizing that you are worth it. You are worthy. You do deserve this. And you're perfect exactly as you are. Because we all deal with our issues in different ways. Everybody deals with their traumas somehow. And just because your way of dealing with it is eating doesn't mean you're less than someone else who punishes themselves with over-exercising. It's just unfortunate that our society views it that way. So if you're carrying extra weight, many times I see it over and over again, you feel like a failure at life. But really, you were born perfect. Everything that has happened to you or that you have done is superficial. And no matter what your body looks like, you're perfect. That's just a superficial thing. And unfortunately, you when you carry extra weight, you're wearing your heart on your sleeve. <laughs> because you got that way because of the inner inner struggles that you're dealing with. Some people deal with it by hoarding and they can just hide it and shut their door and not let anyone come over. <laughs> it's there, but people may not know about it. But if you carry extra weight, you're very vulnerable because you're being seen and judged. And it's kind of an irony, right? That carrying extra weight makes you both more visible and more invisible given the cultural ideas we have about what people should look like and, and who we value. Um, right. Right. And society, I think is changing slowly. It, things are getting better as far as that, as far as not being taken seriously. And, you know, a lot of the issues are the media the the images that we see on instagram and on magazines and in, you know with fashion and thankfully those the way that people look is starting to change that we see you know when you go to a store now they have plus size mannequins and they never use and commercials they have women of all different shapes and sizes and so i think it's getting a little bit better but we still have a long way to go. And I would also say that part of that is an internal mindset. I'm not denying that it exists, it does, but many people feel that they don't get taken seriously because of their looks. And sometimes it's the thin attractive people because 
people think, well, she can't be smart. She's, you know, she's, she's just a pretty face. So really as women, we like to put ourselves between a rock and a hard place. (laughs) So no matter where you are, you, you don't feel good. Some people would say, well, you know, isn't working to become more socially acceptable also um, kind of endorsing the values Mm -hmm. that put us at odds with each other? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my program has nothing to do with getting to a certain size or being more socially acceptable. Body love isn't about other people's perception of you. It's about internally feeling strong, being feeling healthy, having energy, and feeling powerful. Feeling powerful out in the world, no matter your size. And feeling good about yourself and feeling confident when you walk out the door. Because... I think that if women were not so preoccupied with other people's impression about how they look, we could accomplish so much more because we're basically already out there kicking ass and trying to fulfill this ideal. (laughs) So if we had the freedom not to be weighed down by that, I mean, we'd be unstoppable. If people want to find out more about your work, um, where can they go? Well, I have a website, sarahaaswellness.com. And I also have a free weight loss jumpstart class, which really dives into a lot of the issues, the mindset and confidence issues and body love that we've talked about. And I think you are going to include a link for those who might want to sign up for that course. It's completely free and it's a mini course, so it it doesn't take a whole lot of time, but it has a huge impact. And you can also get that course on my website. Thank you so much today for being a guest on Disobedient Femmes. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I am Suzanne Legrand, and this is Disobedient Femmes. For more interviews with women artists, activists, and entrepreneurs who are changing the world, subscribe in the link below. And thanks for listening. Go!